Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. This is Doug Cunnington, and my voice is a little scratchy. You may be able to detect that. I am getting over a cold. I took a COVID test, and they said that it wasn't COVID, but a couple days later, I lost my sense of smell, and that was a big deal because I like food, and I like drinking beer, and your sense of smell it's pretty important for that kind of stuff. So anyway, I haven't retested yet, but I've basically assumed and pretended like I've had COVID. So anyway, that is relevant because today this is going to be a rebroadcast. It's going to be a great topic. This is a fantastic episode. It's about mini retirement and lifestyle design, but it's from my other podcast, The Mile High Fi Show, where my friend and I, Carl Jensen, we talk about personal finance and financial independence and some side hustle stuff. And in this particular episode, we interviewed uh, some of our very good friends, Robert and Carla, and they basically took a mini retirement, a sabbatical for about a year before they relocated here to Longmont where Carla and I met them. So we go into the backstory, we go into a lot of details. They have uh, a really a great story of, well, just kind of following the path, like where their lives led them. And then they realized they were in a spot while it seemed successful and fantastic from the outside that they wanted something a little bit different. And I think a lot of us have found ourselves in that position, or uh, maybe we see our friends doing that if we've been able to, uh, you know, make our way out of it. Like I got laid off, and that was sort of a blessing in disguise. So I decided to try and save my voice. I'm about to start coughing right now, and that is why I'm doing this rebroadcast. So I appreciate everyone's patience, and I think you're going to find this episode. Uh, very fun. We have a, a very long conversation, and it's actually been one of the most popular, the most popular episode for Mile High Fi in the last 90 days. So that's one of the reasons why I selected it. Before I send it over to that episode, which I'm just going to, I'm not going to bother editing it uh, deeper. I'm just going to run the episode that we did over at Mile High Fi, but I need to thank a sponsor. That is Otis Global, O-D-Y-S. You can get $100 in your account if you join using my affiliate link. And I'm going to cough real quick. Hold on. And the, the struggle is very real here. That, that was a real cough. And uh, the, the featured domain for this, this episode is Beard-ishin, Beard-ishin. So it's like a combination of beard and condition. And this was a former domain of a company selling grooming products, men's grooming products for uh, the beard and I guess other sort of men's beauty products. I don't know if we call it that, but I don't use too many of those. I don't have a beard. And uh, yeah, I moisturize. I suspect moisturizing is uh, included in that. But this domain was created... 2012. It's nine years old, domain rating of 14, domain authority of 30. There's a bunch of awesome backlinks. There are 71 do follow referring domains. There's links from CNBC, entrepreneur.com, creative mornings, and so on. And I think if you have a blog in that niche, in that area, anything related to shaving, 
I think, or even men's lifestyle, this could be a great domain to add in there. So without further ado, I'm going to send it to the episode. Remember, thanks to Otis, you can get $100 into your account if you join using my affiliate link. And hopefully soon, I'll be able to record full episodes again. Have a great day out there. Let's send it to Robert and Carla. And this is uh, the Mile High Fi. I'll put a link in case you want to check out uh, the the overall podcast. There's about 25 episodes at this point, And we have some, uh, actually some pretty big guest on there. It's been quite amazing. Okay, I'll send it to the episode. Welcome to the Mile High Five podcast. My name is Carl Jensen and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. And today we have two awesome guests. This is the first time we're doing a four-person interview. So this is pretty exciting or a four-person podcast. We have local Longmontians. Is that how you say a Longmont? I think so. I'm going with it. We have Robert and Carla. Hello, Robert and Carla. How Hello. are you today? Hey, guys. Doing great. We are excellent. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about how I know Carla and Robert. I had to check my email before our recording way back in September of 2019. That feels so long ago with COVID. I, I received an email from Carla, and she mentioned that her and Robert were thinking about moving to Longmont and <laughs> wanted our advice or wanted to talk to us a little bit about it. And I'm always kind of scared when people ask me about that because obviously I'm biased in multiple ways. I do like Longmont, but the other thing is I want interesting, fun people to hang out with. So of course I'm like, yeah, you should totally move here. Let's do it. Carl and Robert Longmont is for you. And I hadn't even met them yet. I I don't know if I was that (laughs) enthusiastic. So my question, what I would like to open up with to you two, and maybe Carla, you go first is, has Longmont met your expectations? And you you can tell the truth because yeah, I'm always scared about this. I got to pump Longmont up and then people move here and they're like, what the hell? This place sucks. So <laughs> what are what are your opinions of Longmont? Are you happy here so far? Um, I would say it has more than lived up to our expectations. So we were coming from Dallas, Texas, and like it's so hot and it's so flat. Like unless you're into shopping and strip clubs i think is the other thing that dallas is really known for lots of good strip wait, clubs wait mm-hmm. not a strip mall a strip club where people Correct. take their clothes off okay, yeah just yeah to yeah i mean i've never been to a strip club in dallas but like it's a thing like people talk about like the shopping and the strip clubs in dallas are right on so we were not super into either of those things um so yeah we had been thinking for a long time about moving somewhere that had more mountains and a better climate and a little bit more of a culture that we were in line with and a lot of different things. And yeah, Longmont has checked every single one of the boxes that we were hoping for. Cool. So yeah. Yeah, we came in uh, beginning of 2020 and met a bunch of people. It was great and fantastic. And then everything closed down for COVID. And we were a little leery in the beginning, but my goodness, things have just kind of picked up in the last few weeks again. And it just feels like everything we ever wanted. So it's been perfect. I feel like you'll finally get to experience Longmont. We do not have the strip clubs of Dallas. I don't think we have one here. If there is, I, I don't know about it. But yeah, you'll finally get to experience Longmont and all the cool things that happen in summer. Like now, I'm sorry you had to go through the COVID stuff. but It passed peacefully. How about you, Doug? What's, when did you meet Carla and Robert? Only a few weeks after that, I think. So it was at a Mr. Money Mustache HQ event. And I think... I only talked to you, Carla, maybe for like three or four minutes. 
maybe that was the day you put an offer on a house. Is that oh, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, it was that beer making looked... thing in early December. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh yeah. And then we never called each other. Uh, I knew you guys were in town by that time, and yeah, never got in touch. You also didn't get in touch with me. And then <laughs> sometime later, we met at another event just before everything shut down, like weeks before. Now thinking of like that many people in a small place. Yeah. Makes me a little nervous. I mean, I was a little nervous then, but now <laughs> even more so. And uh, it, at that point, my wife was there. We all chatted for a little while, and then we've hung out a bunch since then. But that's cool. So Carl convinced you that it was so awesome, and then you, you guys made the huge decision. Now, yeah, we haven't talked about who you are and, and what you do. So can you give a little intro, uh, Ichi, Robbie, why don't you start? Uh, sure. Yeah, I'm an energy engineer. I have been doing that ever since college. I, I love it. I get to go help buildings be more efficient, use less energy. And, you know, the job's really rewarding for our end customers and for everybody else, too. So I really like it. It's all fun. Awesome. Uh, I am a lawyer. Um, I have not had quite the same level of love and enthusiasm <laughs> for my work over the course of my career. Um, I graduated from law school in 2008, and my first job out of law school was amazing. I loved it. I was clerking for a federal judge. Um, yeah, most lawyers look back and say their clerkship, if they were lucky enough to get one, um, was the best job they ever had, and that's definitely true for me. It was just phenomenal. You basically get to like put your federal judge hat on for a year and see everything that goes on behind the scenes of a, of a courthouse and um, that was amazing. And I had the best judge anybody could ask for. Um, so that was great. And then I started um, work in big firms because a federal clerkship is almost always a, a one-year gig, sometimes a two-year gig. Um, but typically they're just one year. So I did that for a year, loved it, was really sad to leave. Um, but yeah, then went to a big law firm and did not love it quite as much. Okay. So very <laughs> diplomatic way to say that. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> and uh, before we keep migrating on, do you have any questions about a little of their background, Carl, or anything? Um, I don't think so. I'm really curious to hear the answer to the next question because I don't think I've ever asked you two about this. And if I have, I've forgotten the answer. So excuse mm -hmm. me. But how do you know about financial independence? What was your introduction to financial independence? <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. Um, so... As an extension of me not completely loving the work that I was doing, um, I one day just kind of stumbled across this blog, which I'm, this is the story that so many people have, right? It was Mr. Money Mustache. And yeah, I was just like a moth to a flame completely. This is what I'm going to do. Like, this is it. I, I have to do something different with my life and this is the way out. So I think that was in 2014. That's my guess. That Maybe it was a right. bit later than that. Um, but yeah, I very distinctly remember um, I got home from work that day. And I think I, we call it the bathtub story. Yeah. Because I was in the bath and Robert got home and he like came in the bathroom and was like, hey, you know, we're just like chatting about our day. I was just trying to relax from kind of a stressful day. And. Um, I was like, okay, so listen, we have to have a serious conversation. 
I've just found this thing, this idea, and we're going to like put, like redirect our entire life plan. And this is what we're going to do. Um, and Robert was sort of like, no, yeah, <laughs> in a word, um, thought that I had completely lost my mind. And, um, I, yeah, very distinctly remember you saying like, just find a job you like, you know, like just quit and do something you enjoy. And yeah, it's kind of a, a weird story of how things evolved over time, because I think we kind of flip-flopped a lot as to which one of us was like more devoted to the idea of me staying at my job and trying to save a lot versus just like, let's quit and I'll do something I like better. So yeah, it was kind of a slow evolution as Robert kind of came more on board and then fell off again and then kind of came more on board. I don't know. Yeah. I certainly struggled with the idea of, Hey, we can just not work. I I didn't have any idea what I would do with my time or what I would really want to do. Uh, and then I started thinking about it and came up with some fun ideas and things that would be interesting and intriguing. And I certainly came around to the idea that, yeah, we don't need to work the, these big jobs in Dallas that are paying us big salaries and adding a lot of stress and not adding to our happiness. So. I love that you called it the bathtub story. Like you actually have a name for the moment. And yeah. It was a pivotal moment. Yeah. I, I yeah. remember it in my life too. I remember like it was yesterday because it was one of the inflection points in my life. Like that day, my life was not on the surface any different, maybe at that time, but all the, everything changed. Like it was like before like AC or BC, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. It's amazing. So I'm, I'm curious, Robert. I have a two-part question for you. You said you were kind of resistant. You didn't know what to do with your time. Did you have, how long did it take you to come around? So that's question number one. And question number two is, did you have any doubts about the financial part of it? Because when I hear people who doubt fire, it's often the money. They're like, oh, I'm so worried. I'm going to run out of cash. Or it's the finances they worry about, not necessarily the meaning and how they're going to spend their time. So how long did it take you to come around? And were you worried about the finance? So it probably took me maybe two or three months, one good weekend of thinking about things that if if I didn't have anything going on, I could do whatever I wanted. What would that look like? And and how could that last for decades? And I started to come up with a whole bunch of ideas that I thought were interesting and fun and, you know, outdoorsy and exciting to me. And I was like, you know, maybe I could, I could get around this, but I do remember like the next weekend back at that time, we were members of a, a golf club and was going playing golf with a couple of my work buddies. And I was like, I had this crazy conversation with Carla the other day. She wants to retire at like 35. Uh, and they're like, wait, what? Isn't she a lawyer? Hasn't she gone to school for a long time for all that? Doesn't she want to keep doing it? And <clears throat> yeah, it took a little while to, to come around on that. Yeah, I was so mad at him that he had told his like work buddies about it. <laughs> yeah. So mad. Yeah. There, were, there was a lot of fighting going on at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like just struggling to get on the same page and figure out what we were going to do and how it was all going to shake out. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a little bit tense for a while, but fortunately we're good communicators and we all, yeah, we figured everything yeah, out. We got through it. Yeah. The second part, the the financial side of it really wasn't a, a big barrier or hurdle for us. I think we're both naturally strong savers or relatively frugal people who haven't had expensive tastes uh, and the math just made sense. So when I looked at the numbers, we'd certainly thought about how we were accruing savings without any real particular plan. Um, and it seemed clear that we could make the, the money work out okay. So that, that was much less of a stressful thing for me than a lot of people who um, come to FI. 
Okay. I have one more probing question, and then I'll turn it back to Doug for a second. So I don't think a lot of relationships work well if both people are type type A and, or both people are type B. If both people are type A, they'd be fighting all the time. If both people are type B, nothing would ever get done. So I think of my relationship, and I'm definitely the type A person. I'm the one. Um, very on edge and, uh, um, yeah, I'm not sure where I'm going with that, but in your relationship, it seems maybe Carla's more of the type A person and you're more of the laid back one, Robert. Is is that accurate or am I, uh, uh, I don't know. I think both of us are very close to the line of type A and type B. I certainly have a type A aspect to my personality, but I also really, really enjoy just turning that off. And yeah, I, the more I've like thought about what kind of person I really am, I think I am much closer to type B or maybe that's just been in the last few years of kind of like decompressing and stepping away from the big law job. But, um, yeah, I think you kind of had to be more type A to do what I used to do. And now I've been very relieved to at, at the very least, like turn the volume way down on that. And I'm a serial procrastinator who lives under the, you know, the veneer of flexibility, I guess. Like that's my big mantra. I got to have flexibility. And so I am resistant to any kinds of long-term specific plans or anything too crazy. Um, and Carla is a big distant planner. I'm so much more of a planner. She, <clears throat> she drags yeah. me along. Yeah. So I, we actually, I toyed with the idea of starting an FI blog over the years, and I always thought I would call it flexibility <laughs> because Robert would just say that word to me so much, like, just hang on a little longer. We'll have so much more flexibility if you do that. And yeah, I just got so frustrated hearing that word, like, but what does that even mean to you? What are we going to do with all of that flexibility? Like, let's make an actual plan. And yeah, now I, I feel grateful for the flux of fucking ability that we actually do have right now um which so i guess it was it was all worth it in the end but um yeah all right that's it's interesting uh i think elizabeth and i are kind of in the same position in, in a lot of ways and one observation because I, I don't think i'm really type a except for th certain areas. So I wonder if like certain areas, like you want to actually drive, um, you're, you're both nodding. So is that maybe accurate? I think for me, I'm really reluctant to start something, but once I get into it, I, I become kind of type A about it, if that makes any sense. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. Like just with little stuff around the house, we're so amazed by people like, especially you, Carl, like you just do all this like stuff around the house and you fix things and we're so bad about that. And I feel like I have to be the engine to get you motivated to do it. And then once I've done that, you're like, leave me alone. You're going to mess it up. You're going to do it wrong. Let me do it. <laughs> but yeah, like if I didn't get you going, nothing would ever happen. Yeah. Yeah. So let's rewind. You graduated in 2008, you said, and then did the clerkship. Is that the right term? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So about a year, then you started doing what, what kind of law? So I started out doing tax tax work, um, which was frustrating for a number of reasons. The first was that it was, so it was 2009 by the time I started at the big firm. And as you probably recall, that was not an awesome time for the economy. Um, so yeah, my job that I had lined up that I was supposed to start after my clerkship actually told me, please don't come for a while, like take a few more months and... 
maybe we'll be ready for you when we're done, which was very common. I had a lot of friends from law school who were all in the same boat. Um, so yeah, I got there finally and there just wasn't that much work to do. Like everybody was hungry for work and it was really tense. So I wasn't like, I wasn't as busy as I wanted to be, but it was actually more stressful than being busy like I was later because we were just, we had to hit a certain number of hours every year, um, that we were supposed to bill. So if we weren't doing that, then you knew you were kind of like on the chopping block and not looking good. And so, yeah, that was an extremely stressful period of time. And it didn't really change. Like I was there for about three years and the whole time was just not great. Like I I felt like my legal career was kind of floundering and um, yeah, it just was very frustrating. And it, it was frustrating for us too as a couple, because like we, we felt like I had to be at the office all the time in case a little shred of work came up. I had to be there to be the one to grab it. So even though I wasn't like doing a lot of work, I, I had to physically be at the office all the time. So yeah, we didn't take any vacations at all. I don't think while I was at my first firm. And then um, I finally decided I wanted to do something a little bit different and needed to transition out of that firm. So I started looking for something else, ended up doing um, just more general commercial litigation. Um, and then at that firm, I had plenty to do. <laughs> it was very, very busy, which at first was so awesome. I was so excited to finally feel like, you know, things were taking off for me and it was great. Um, and then it took about a year and a half or so for the kind of the shine to wear off of that and to be like, is this really what I want to do for the next 30, 40 years? And yeah, start wanting some change. And then were you generally happy at your job during that time? So I drew the winning lottery ticket coming out of school, right? Uh, my first job out of college, uh, was just amazing, right? I, I picked this company where everybody really seemed to like it. And with this kind of small division where we were really excited about what we were doing. I love the people I was working with. I love the work I was doing. And so I'm just in this nice little bubble. I don't know if I've ever met anybody who likes their job as much as, as mine. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that's ridiculous. And are you still working in the same yeah, company? I still work there. Yeah. I, I love it. They're fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's, it's been such a part of my life. I'm, I don't really want to leave. I mean, it's, it's been excellent. So I have that. Carla is coming to me every few months with some other alternative career idea, whatever came in her head that month. It's like, a, hey, maybe I could go do this or I'll go do something else. And it's like, oh, it'll get better. Just give it some time. Give it some time. Yeah. Give yeah, it well, some time, five more years. Give it some time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I guess it was about five years from when we first discovered the idea of financial independence and when I, when we finally quit. So and now we're working again, but when we, yeah, we quit. So, <laughs> so how many hours a week were you working, Carla? And was that, I always think of the book, the firm. I know that's probably not how uh, lawyers really operate, especially the mob aspect, but in the beginning <laughs> of the book, this, this attorney is just working like, I don't know, like a hundred hours a week or something like that. And how many hours were you working in Robert? Was that stressful for you? Cause you're sitting at home watching the Brady Bunch and Carla's trying to pick up these shreds of work. Um, so it varied a lot, like a lot, a lot. I had times when I was just insanely slammed. Um, we had one case that we worked on seven days a week, probably, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 hours a day for 
three or four months in a row. And that was, that was really tough. Yeah, that was very tough. Um, but mostly it was much more reasonable than that. It was, you know, so the, the thing about being a lawyer is you, um, you keep track of your time in six minute increments, like you bill 0.1 hours, 0.2 hours to your client. Um, so you're, you are supposed to be pretty meticulous with that. I tried to be, I think it varies from lawyer to lawyer, just how careful with it they are. But, um, I tried to be cautious with it and like actually take time out if I, you know, stopped and surfed the internet for a while, or if I stopped to chat with a coworker, got up to go to the bathroom or, you know, like you really are supposed to keep track of your time pretty carefully. Um, which means that if you're in the office for like 10 or 11 hours, you may have only billed like eight. So, um, yeah, I was in the office a lot. Robert has always worked a lot too. And I, I also think you had so much more of a social aspect at work than I did. Like for me, it was much more bury my head. And like when I was there, I wasn't talking to hardly anybody. Yeah. I think I probably adapted my work schedule to almost align with Carla's. Okay. So, um, I would be totally unproductive for huge chunks of the day, walking around the building and like basically bringing the water cooler with me, <laughs> you know, interrupting other people while they, while they were being productive. Uh, and then finally, when everyone left for the day, I'd be able to sit down and get some work done and stay caught up on things. So, uh, like on a normal Monday to Friday, we kind of had pretty similar schedules. Uh, the weekend is where it got to be a lot different. No one was asking me to come in on the weekend routinely to do a lot of stuff. Occasionally weird things would happen, but it seemed like that was, there were a few weekends where Carla wasn't working on at least one day. And so that was a, a little bit of friction, but at the same time I had hobbies and other friends and would it just be an opportunity for me to go play some golf or do something else while Carla was busy working. Yeah. I feel like we're coming across as total douchebags. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Lawyers and golfing. And we, do, we don't do that anymore for the audience. We're not as douchebaggy as we sound, I hope. <laughs> no, you guys transitioned out of that, which yeah. we will transition out of that period <laughs> too. Yeah. We wanted to make you seem really bad so that you'll come out shining on the other side of this. So, Good okay. Job. Good Thanks, job. Doug. In 2014, it's, I, I take it you probably Googled something like how to retire early, how to quit your job, something like that. You found Mr. Money Mustache. You had the uh, bathtub conversation <laughs> where I assume you had the upper hand. You lawyered him. He's convinced after three or four months or something. So how do you, how does the plan get set in motion? I don't know. I feel like that's a harder one to answer. I think it was it was very slow and our number changed a lot over the course of time because we would just, yeah, I, Carl, you were asking if Robert was worried about money. I think I was actually more worried about money, even though I was the one who was more desperate to make a change. I've always been just had more fear around the money subject than Robert has. So, yeah, I was to the point where I would sit down and be like, okay, this is going to be an okay number. We'll work towards this. And they'd be like, no, 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 we're going to need more than that. Like, what if this happens and what if that happens? So I don't know. So I think I remember there being some weekends where I was thinking about what would we do with all this time? Like, how would we do something that would make us happy and, you know, really enjoy life? And I came on this idea, like, what if we went and hiked the Appalachian Trail? I think that was the first one of those kind of big epic type things that that came to my mind as something that I'd want to do. Um, 
and we started talking about other similar kinds of things um, and just sort of had that as a, maybe we could do this sort of thing at some point, but we can't do that till the dogs die. Right. That was really what was driving our timetable back then. We had, we had two dogs. They weren't young, but they weren't old either. And I was adamant that, Hey, we really, we can't do anything, any of the big things that we're talking about possibly doing until the dogs die. And so I guess how the ball got moving was, well, let's, let's be ready. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was such a difficult thing. I, both of us, but especially me, I love dogs so, so much. They were such a big part of our lives. And now we have a new dog who is very much a big part of our lives. But, um, yeah, I loved those dogs so much. They were just like our kids. And to look at them and think like, I can have a better life when you die was just the worst <laughs> feeling in the world. I but felt real. like such an, just an asshole thinking like that. But, um, you know, we wanted them to live a long time and we loved them. And when one of them passed away much earlier than we expected, he had cancer in his neck. Um, and we, you know, just for the record, like we took him to the vet multiple, like we did all the treatment. We took care of him as, as well as anybody could have, I think. Um, but it did eventually get him. So he passed away when he was not quite 10, I think. And yeah, like I was devastated. But maybe a, a week or two after he was gone, I was like, okay, one left. And yeah, I know that makes me sound like a horrible human being. I, I There's no other way to spin it. But that's, yeah, it, it really is kind of true. Like we were going to go take off and have some adventures and you know they they were like our kids and we weren't just gonna abandon them so it was kind of like a okay well we're in this for the for your lifetime so yeah yeah and so we also one of our if our adventures were going to be doing some big hiking type things that's kind of a seasonal thing so it was sort of really easy to sort of say okay we'll work for another year like it's too late to go plan to go change our life to go do that next year the dogs are still doing well, so that's that's not going to happen. And then it eventually became a question of, uh, well, how many more years are we going to do a, a one more year kind of thing? All right. And then you mentioned trying to figure out the target number. And how did you reconcile that? I honestly don't know if we ever did. I think it just got to a point where we felt like the money was in a good situation. We we're feeling like we probably were going to want to go back to work at some point. And so it just started to seem like, okay, we don't need to worry about hitting a specific number if we feel sure that we want to work in some capacity going forward. So yeah, the timeline became more, more about the dogs really than about the money. (laughs) I know that sounds terrible and insane, but um, it was, it was kind of true. So yeah, we just got to a point where we were, the money was good and we felt like let's just make it happen. Got it. So Yeah, I think what you just said there is very powerful and a lot of people should consider like when I found fire, my idea was I would work, work, work and that stop and that was it. It was black and white. But you said something that I think has a lot of value to people and what others should consider. You said you would always plan to go back to work, right? So fire wasn't going to be uh, an all or nothing thing. And I think I first heard about this idea from a mad scientist interview with Michael Kitsis and Michael Kitsis kind of said the same thing. He's, I guess he has a lot of clients that want to retire early. He's like, well, why don't you consider doing what you just said, maybe taking 
a sabbatical and taking some time off and then maybe you'll want to go back to work. Again, you don't have to worry about money as much. You don't have to worry about finding meaning and all that. You can you can take it for a test drive. And I think now something like that is more easier to do than ever. You think of the old days with our parents, you got your job and you worked there for 40 or 50 years and you quit. Like no one ever took sabbaticals unless they were some extreme situation. But now I think it's more accepted and it's not going to look as crazy if you have a six-month gap in your, in your resume. And I think a lot of employers might even value that. Hey, you, you took some time off and you're probably going to come back more refreshed. Maybe you took time off to write a book. You're going to you're probably be a better employee when you do return. So it's not nearly the strange thing it used to be. And I think it's a great idea. And I wish I would have considered it when I discovered Fire. Yeah, yeah. I um, I think we we were of the mindset that we wanted to get to a place where if like the economy tanked while we were out adventuring and we couldn't find a job for a long time getting back, we would be in great shape. And maybe if we never worked again, like we would still be okay. But um, yeah, not to a point where we're like, okay, we've got so much money that we feel a thousand percent sure we'll never have to work again. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it was kind of a kind of a hybrid, I guess, between Phi and doing sort of a mini retirement. Yeah, I mean we're lucky, right? We don't have any kids. We had good jobs. Um, we had frugal lifestyles just starting out. So th- the money side of things was a lot easier for us than I think for for other folks. And we realized we're pretty lucky in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, on the idea of sabbaticals, I was going to say there's a guy at my office who took a four month long vacation about a year and a half before um, we decided to do some big adventures. And it was welcomed. He told me about it about a year before he did it. Uh, we were on a, a way back from our project site. And he said, hey, yeah, I'm going to do this big Alaska adventure with my family next summer. I'm going to take four months off and drive up there and go to this incredible adventure. He was telling me about the time he told one of the vice presidents about it. Uh, they were like, how do you have that much vacation? How are you going to do that? He said, no, I don't. I just figured you guys would either let me do it or... I'd quit and hope you're still looking for somebody with my skills when, uh, when I got back and they're like, no, 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 you're too valuable. We like you. We want you to stay with us. We'll figure it out. We'll make it work. And when they did that with him, I knew they'd do the same sort of thing with me. And actually the company has now implemented a a recharge break policy where you can like bank vacation time, uh, and save it up to take, I think four months off at a time in the future, uh, like mini sabbaticals to, take a break from work, recharge, come back refreshed and be excited to work again. That's awesome. Are they hiring? Uh, they are. Uh, we got some openings in Colorado, Carl. <laughs> I don't know if I'd have any value. I could probably get you water or change the toilet paper or something like that. We but... need all kinds of rolls. All kinds of rolls. <laughs> good nice. That, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the day you came home and told me that that guy um, had talked to you and told you he was doing that. And we were just so excited by that. I felt like maybe... Yeah, maybe we do have a good shot at you just taking a sabbatical instead of pulling the plug entirely. Okay, so let's talk about what you did after you quit. And we'll come back to the, the quitting thing, but since you opened up that thread of doing stuff, because I know you, you, you drove to Alaska, but you did some other stuff too. So you started to investigate what you could do with your time. How'd you make the decision? What did you end up doing? right when you uh, freed up? So what we decided we wanted to do was through hike the Pacific Crest Trail. 
So we thought about a bunch of different challenges and uh, fun things we could go do with our time. And we decided the Pacific Crest Trail, it's a 2,650 mile continuous footpath from Mexico to Canada that goes through California, Oregon, and Washington. We decided it would just be a blast to give that a try. We'd, we'd seen a bunch of videos of other people who'd done it, read a bunch of blogs, read, you know, encountered other people's fun stories and decided it would be the adventure of a lifetime and just a great beginning to a new phase in our life. And so in, was it March 23rd, something like that? March of 2019, we set off in an attempt to walk from Mexico to Canada on the Pacific Crest Trail. And that was kind of our, our the beginning of our big adventure. Uh, yeah, it was just the most fun I think I've probably ever had. It was so great out there. We just loved it. Um, so yeah, we, we did not finish because of me. Robert, I have no doubt, unless something catastrophic had happened, would have finished without me. Um, but we made it to um, the entrance to the Sierra Nevada about 700 miles in and were confronted by a wall of snow. We did this in 2019. So for any PCT buffs out there, if you go back and look, like there's a lot of stuff about what a crazy snow year it was. Um, and there were like a, there was a two-week snowstorm that was rolling in, dumping two more weeks worth of snow on top of what was already there. So we decided to um, take a little time off and just had this amazing... We, we were with the coolest group of people you could ever imagine on planet Earth. They were just fantastic. We um, met them out there, I should add. We went out there yeah. with just the two of us with this kind of plan to to hike and do our own thing on our own and quickly learn that the people were the most incredible part of it, which I think we all find is, is the case in almost anything we do. Um, yeah. So we got lucky and just met a bunch of great people that they call it a tramily, your trail family. Um, so we, we did just have this incredible group. So we all took, most of us took some time off together waiting for the snow to melt. Um, and then we got back on trail. I had had some pretty bad ankle problems um, leading up to that. And then I think that t taking the time off maybe actually hurt it a little bit because it, like the muscles that were supporting the tendons that aren't in great shape got weaker. So we got back on trail uh, after waiting out some snow. Um, and almost immediately my ankle was just like, whew, just crashed and burned. It was terrible, super swollen, just hiking like maybe a mile an hour on some of the easiest trail that we'd done. Yeah, we were just past, was it Lassen Volcanic National Park? Mm -hmm. And the trail is it's totally flat. You're going in you're Northern California. It's, it's not super aggressive. And Carla's going less than a mile in an hour with, you know, she's dehydrating with sobbing going down her cheeks. It, <laughs> it just really did hurt. It was, it was terrible. It's not good. So yeah, even with like a bunch of Aleve, vitamin I, as hikers like to call it, ibuprofen. Um, yeah, it was just in really bad shape. So we decided it just wasn't a good call to keep going. Um, that I was going to do it more damage than we wanted to do long-term. So I decided to stop hiking, um, went back to where we left our car with Robert's family in Louisiana. I got our car, drove back out, and we thought, like, maybe Robert can keep going and I'll just, like, be sort of, like, support on the side and have the car and, you know, not hike but kind of be along for the ride. And it was just so depressing. It was such a bummer, like not getting to do the adventure with him that we planned to do for so long. It was just really frustrating. And so, yeah, and, you know, we had been leading up for so long to breaking away from the jobs that were 
so life consuming and, you know, having some great adventures together. And it just didn't feel right to just be, I mean, more or less like split up for long periods of time. So, um, Robert very kindly decided to stop hiking and come hang out with me again. And then we had a great time. We drove all the way up to Alaska. We went through Oregon and Washington, hit all the national parks there. Um, yeah, just saw a bunch of beautiful things. We kept camping the whole time. So we were still getting that sort of like outdoor experience, which was fantastic. And, um, yeah. So we kind of car camped for another like three months or so, all the way up through Alaska, Canada, Montana, Wyoming, and then here. And we stopped here and checked it out, did a little recon mission. Um, Carl gave us the strong arm to, yeah. <laughs> he did. <laughs> to move to Longmont. Yeah. Um, and then after we came here and did our little recon mission, um, then we went to Europe for like three months because we, I, we had not, I think we took two vacations in the 10 years that I worked as a lawyer. One of them was kind of forced on us. It was your sister getting married in Hawaii. And then what was the other one? I don't remember. I feel like that was it. I think it was just one. (laughs) Wait, in in how many years? 10. 10 years you had one vacation? Yeah. I mean, that sounds a little more dramatic than it is. So I um, went to these conferences as part of my work um, like three, at least three times a year. And they were usually in pretty cool places. And sometimes Robert would get to come along. So those were like four-day weekends that were pretty fun. That was kind of paid for through work. And so we we did little stuff like that. But I think that was it. We were just, we were laser focused on saving and, you know, making our careers go as well as they could and building up our incomes and, yeah, before we cut it off. So... Did that, so I have a couple of follow-up questions. Number one is, will you go back and complete the PCT? Is your ankle condition permanent? And I guess my other question is, after you discovered financial independence, what did you change anything? Obviously, your goal was a little bit different, but what, what changed in your life? Was it just mindset or did you learn more about investing and try to focus more on that? So, sorry, two vastly different questions there. Um, so the angle one, just quickly, it's still not great. Like it's, I think it's probably going to be kind of a chronic thing forever. So I think my super long distance back backpacking days are probably behind me, unfortunately. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. Like if I actually like did a bunch of physical therapy and surgery, maybe, I don't know, but probably we're done with that phase of our life is what I, I think. Yeah. More of like a weekend backpacking excursions and yeah, you know, day hikes like, kind of thing. Like 10 ish miles a day seems to be okay. Um, instead of 20 ish, but yeah, so that's the quick ankle question. Um, when we found Phi, I do feel like things changed. Robert and I have actually argued about this over the years. I think we dropped our spending quite a bit and we just weren't tracking back then, but I think we were spending substantially more before we found Phi and started to just like cut out sort of mindless spending that wasn't actually doing anything for us. Um, yeah, I, I feel like we really didn't change our lifestyle that much because we were already relatively frugal. But where there was a big difference is what we did with the money that we were saving. We were not particularly wise with the money we were We were great at saving it, but we didn't do anything productive with our money um, in a, a great time to do productive things with your money coming out of the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took us a depressingly long amount of time to realize that investing was a good call. A depressingly long amount of time. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, we, we were exactly the same way and we're a few years older. So we, we saw really the dot com stuff and then we bought houses right when it was the worst time to buy houses. So anyway, we, we ended up accumulating money in savings accounts and then realized that we, we should invest it. So yeah. Yeah. Savings account. That's that's ahead of us. That was a step up from a literal <laughs> checking, checking account. account. Yeah. 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 And I, I think I was telling mm-hmm. you this the other day, Doug, but I I distinctly remember we were basically too young to have much at all invested in two thousand eight and nine because I was just graduating. You hadn't been working that long. But um yeah, even so, I remember like looking, you know, just watching the news and hearing people talk about the stock market tanking. And thinking like, mm, we're so smart. We didn't put any money in that silly old stock market. And that just makes me cringe now to think about it. But yeah, I remember thinking like, that's for risk takers. And we're just smart, careful people. And we would never do anything like that. So if anybody out there is, you know, young and has that, please don't think that that was a terrible <laughs> way to think. Yeah. So I think when we learned about FI, we got a lot smarter about investing. Um, you know, we decided putting money in the mattress or in coffee cans in the backyard is not going to be the way to, you know, good financial happiness. <laughs> so do you have any examples on maybe where you cut back a little bit? Cause I know you, you said maybe you disagree a little bit. Like were you eating out more often? I think maybe we ate out a little bit more, even though we didn't eat out as much as a lot of people. Yeah. I'm sh- I honestly just don't even know, which is the worst part, but I, I do have a vision of sitting down and looking at our expenses and thinking like stuff could go, but I don't know what it would have been. Maybe we were buying more clothes, like I was buying more work clothes or something. Maybe we were eating out more. Like, I don't Uh, know. When did we get the second Prius? Oh, yeah. So this is confession time. So, um, this sounds like a joke. The, the second Prius. <laughs> now so, you sound uh, like douchebags. No offense, Prius owners. You guys are great. Um, so, I think, yeah, just after I finished my federal clerkship, started work at a big law firm, I thought it was critical that I have um, a really fancy car to go with my fancy big law job. So, I'm, I don't even want to say it. <laughs> we, we bought a, I don't even remember what you call it. It's a Cadillac. It's That's a Cadillac the that I'm SRX. Like, yeah. Yeah. So we did that. Mm. And <laughs> you know, it's true. I deserve the head shaking. Um, and which was so stupid because I was like a first year associate and no one, like I wasn't taking clients for drives. It just wasn't happening. Like they didn't even let me talk to clients, let alone <laughs> take them out. So yeah, that was not necessary at all. So I think we got that. That would have been in 2010, maybe. And yeah, we had it for about five years. Yeah, I was going to say, after we woke up to five, I remember you came home one day and you were like, Robert, I think we need to get rid of the Cadillac. The Cadillac's uh, body color was called gold mist. So that's that's what we called it. Gold We're just mist. really like upping the douchebag factor <laughs> yeah. a lot. Well, we mocked the name. We didn't like embrace it. We thought it was silly that somebody would <laughs> name a paint color that. But anyway, old gold mist. Carl's like, it's time to get rid of this. I think we need to trade it in. Uh, I was driving a Prius at the time. <clears throat> still am. Still have it. Still the same car. Um, 
And she was coveting it a little bit. I think Carla was I wasn't was coveting your Prius. I just wanted us to make a sound <laughs> financial decision to get rid of gold mist and get something far more sensible. So... So I think we cut back in small ways, right? There were the higher maintenance costs with a more expensive vehicle, higher fuel costs with this small SUV and, you know, little things like that. Small changes that we just sort of gradually made. There weren't any big, like, we're going to budget and eat out less than X times a month or, you know, we're going to mm-hmm. change. The, I mean, I think maybe we shopped around a little bit more intentionally for insurance and other things that are easy to save some money on, but we didn't. I don't feel like we made major lifestyle changes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a point that I really do want to make is that Robert mentioned earlier just how lucky we are. And it's, it's true. Like we've had such an enormous amount of privilege and luck in our lives. And both of us have great parents. Um, mine, especially like they, I, I feel like I should say this so that people don't, you know, think we're, so my parents helped me pay for college. And then for the first couple years of law school, um, and then after that, I was able to earn enough through my summer jobs to take it take it over from there, um, which I should say college and law school were much cheaper than you might be thinking because I went to state schools for both and I was able to get scholarships um, that cut down on the cost substantially. Um, but yeah, like we still had such an enormous leg up in life because of the families that certainly that I came from and you too. Um so yeah, like I, I want to make that clear that we know things were so much easier for us than they are for so many people out there and we're just incredibly lucky. So yeah, I don't want to come across as too preachy, like, look how easy it is. Like, <laughs> all you have to do is be born into an amazing family who gives you like all the, yeah, I, we're very, very aware of that. But I think it's still super important for people like us to tell their stories because we're not alone. Like, we're definitely in an incredibly lucky position, but I was around a whole heck of a lot of people um, who came from similarly fortunate, privileged positions, and they still ended up spending money in ways that I think could be could be improved upon. And maybe it makes them really happy, and that's great. I don't judge anybody if they want to, you know, stay in the lifestyle that I was formerly in and really, you know, spend it up and enjoy the heck out of it. But it wasn't for us. I think Warren Buffett calls that winning the ovarian lottery, having great parents. And yeah, it's a huge leg up, but we all have privilege too, being born in the United States. Think of what a leg mm-hmm. up that is. We could have been born and I just went to a, a, a country where there's not opportunity. And you see many of these people, they could have been doctors or attorneys or physicists if they would have been born in a different place, but they're not. And so they don't have these opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. Um, but yeah, we we just um, we won the country lottery and then we won the ovarian lottery <laughs> on top of that for sure. And I I think that beyond the fact that my parents helped me pay for school, um, like they they also are just wonderful human beings and they weren't um, materialistic people and they really instilled in me that it was important to not get caught up in that kind of momentum and. So I, I think even more than, uh, you know, giving me a, a phenomenal education, just helping me to become somebody who didn't get caught up in that mentality and that whirlpool that can just suck you in was even more valuable. So 
Thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> so when you took the mini retirement sabbatical, did you know how long it was going to be or it was just open-ended? Totally open-ended. So I remember freaking out about wanting to tell my boss, right? I, I really love my job and I really wanted the door to be open to come back, but I didn't know what coming back might look like. We were living in Dallas, but we didn't like Dallas, right? We knew it wasn't quite the place that we wanted to be. And so we didn't know if we'd go back or end up somewhere else. We didn't know if we were going to be gone for uh, a six-month backpacking adventure and then and then come back and or settle somewhere else, or if we'd be gone for three years. We really didn't have it, it mapped out very specifically. I remember going to my boss, I think it was nine months before um, my official end date, I guess, in, in 2019, to say, hey, uh, this is... This is what I'm doing. And it took a lot of uh, trust to go do that because if there were layoffs or anything like that, I'm sure I would have been the first one to go, someone who's not a long time with the company. Um, but because we didn't know what it was going to look like, we didn't set it up to be a sabbatical or anything like that. It was a, a clean break uh, with a, with a, the door that would be open if I ever came to knock. Um, and so it was, it was really uncertain for me. Uh, we, we We'd play by ear. Flexibility, right? I mean, yep. that's, that's the goal. <laughs> Setting you up, yeah. And then you straight up quit, right? So what was that like? Was that stressful in any way? Um, enormously. <laughs> so I had been planning to do this for, you know, a good while and thinking, you know, I'm going to do something with my life that I feel more passionate about, that I feel like is better for the world and um, certainly less stressful and more fun. Um. But even with all of those years of thinking that, like coming to it, I just had so much fear and like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Am I sure? Like, do I really want to do this? And, you know, this is pretty cushy. Do we really want to give all of this up? And yeah, I was I was really struggling with it a lot. And when Robert went and told his boss, it was like, okay, I have to tell mine. <laughs> like we've we've committed. And I waited a little bit longer than you did just because I was so terrified and like really it took a, it took some time to get the courage up. But yeah, I remember that day that I went and knocked on his door, the practice leader of our section. I was just, I don't know, there aren't even words for it. Like it was beyond terrified. I was, I was just shaking and I think I started crying when I told him, yeah, it was a very, very difficult decision to actually pull the plug on it, even with years of thought and planning and a very difficult moment to actually make it happen and just, I mean, turn your life around. But I think Robert and I both had great experiences with telling our employers, because I, I told mine like five or six months out ahead too. Um, so they would have plenty of lead time to find somebody else. And they both, both our employers said to us, just call it a sabbatical, like just come back when you're done. Let's commit to calling, calling it a sabbatical and, you know, you come back on X date. And we both just didn't, we didn't do it. I, your job even offered to give you healthcare. Yeah. My manager was fantastic. He worked with the HR group to try to really set up a formal sabbatical program for me. And I felt so bad that I, we just didn't know what we were going to do. And I, I felt like I, I couldn't leave the team hanging. I also didn't think it was right. I was in a leadership position. Other people were going to have to step in and, and perform my role for a while. And I didn't think it was right to kind of 
step back on them when I, if I came back afterwards. So it felt right to do the clean break. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was difficult though. Like as, cause we told them so far in advance, there was a lot of time for them to, you know, put the pressure on and say, like, just make it a sabbatical. Like, what, what are you doing? What do you, it was such a foreign concept that we would just quit and leave everything open-ended. So, but yeah, it was, um, extremely stressful and extremely difficult to actually do the thing that we'd been planning to do for a long time. How long did it take you to feel good about it? Was it immediate relief after you had that conversation or, and I think of the sunk cost too, because, uh, yeah, you hear about lawyers or physicians pursuing financial independence, and you've got a lot of sunk costs into your education and the time you spent studying for the bar and all that school time. So. Yeah, well, I get, I didn't, maybe I didn't say this, but I am still practicing. Um, I'm doing something radically different. I have a wonderful little immigration firm here in town that I work with, and so I'm still, I haven't flushed my law degree down the toilet, um, which feels good. I'm glad that I'm still putting it to use. Um, but how long did it take to feel better? I do. I remember my very last day with the firm, um, and just feeling pretty amazing that day. That was a good night. Remember, they did a little, like a little mini send off thing for me, just like a happy hour, like they do for a lot of people when they leave. And, um, yeah, I remember walking away from the little bar where we were having the happy hour and just feeling pretty damn good. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Why did, did it take you a long time to feel good? Um, I mean, I always knew that the door was open. I remember being really sad on my last day at work. So I'd had a lunch planned with a guy who took me to lunch for my interview 15 years beforehand, uh, on my last day. And I was excited to just have lunch with him, catch up. Uh, and it turns out, uh, he was taking me to a surprise kickball game that some of my coworkers had organized <laughs> at my office. We had an annual kickball tournament every year and maybe I was more into it than I should have been and really had Obsessed fun with it. Is the word you're looking for, <laughs> with kickball. Just for we also played in a co-ed kickball league, uh, uh with some of my friends from work. Uh, anyway, they put together this thing and brought Carl out there and it was just so touching that everybody wanted to come out and hang out with me on my last day. And I, I had a hard time keeping it together. Um, and I think, I think I stayed at the office till almost seven o'clock that night on a Friday on my last day, just cause I, I didn't want to go. It made me really sad, but you know, once I was done with work and I didn't have to worry about stress of any projects or making sure things were successful and I knew that everything was safely in someone else's hands, I felt good about it cause I gave them such a long lead time to, to make for a smooth transition. It didn't take long. We had some small, prep backpacking trips before we went on the PCT. And that gave me a lot of good time to think and, and really adjust quickly to, Hey, I'm not, we, we moved within a few weeks of uh, my last day. So it, it changed pretty fast and felt, I think we both felt really comfortable quickly and felt really good about what we'd done. Yeah. Very exciting. And I can imagine it's kind of like the first day of school or something when, when you're moving out and you know, a big adventure is, is coming your way. Yeah, it really was great. Yeah, I, I know, you know, things are different for everybody, but I would highly recommend to anyone that they, if they're planning on pulling the plug on their careers, that they do it. And it's something similar to the way that we did, because it just, it felt like such a great transition to, 
actually, you know, doing something that was really active and different than getting to go get out and travel, which, like I said, we didn't take a vacation for so long. We had a huge travel bug that we really needed to scratch, travel itch that we needed to scratch. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we just um, had such a blast. Well, and we kind of had this like multi-year winding down of our lives in Dallas too, right? So we had a big house in the suburbs that we lived in and we'd kind of see this milestone of, okay, we're probably going to do this in a couple of years. Let's put the house up for sale and go live in an apartment that gives us a lot more flexibility to, to go leave when we want to. <laughs> uh, and so we did that and we dropped down to one car and just kind of our life was slowly consolidating, uh, leading to this moment. And so it was just this, you know, natural swing in the other direction, uh, moving away from where we've been going into the freedom that we've been so looking forward to. Was there anything that was different than you expected with the sabbatical period there? I feel like I just sound like Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. Everything is all rosy, but it really was like everything was so great and so much like even better than we could have expected it. Like the PCT was just so much fun. We met the best people and yeah, then even when it was just the two of us, like it was great to have it just be the two of us again because we had basically like no alone time on trail. Like you're just surrounded by hikers the whole time. And so that was really great. And it, yeah, just felt like we had time to really talk and reconnect in a way we hadn't in a long time. And then, yeah, Europe was so amazing because we'd never been anywhere. Like, we'd barely ever left the country. I think I'd been to Canada once. And, like, that was it. <laughs> so we were just these, you know, wide-eyed little kids, like, out on this amazing adventure. And, yeah, it was, it was pretty fantastic. I think I was kind of surprised by just the openness of other people and my willingness to engage with them when I didn't have my own work and life stress in my face. Right. I remember we started our, the PCT and on the first day there was, we'd stopped and had lunch. We were way ahead of schedule for where we needed to be for the day. I think we only had like five miles left to go, you know, seven hours before dark or something. And there was a group of people sitting there just taking a break, you know, 10 minutes after we'd taken a break and, Carl's like, we should stop and talk to these folks. I'm like, oh, come on. That's, that's crazy. We got to keep moving. We got to make some time. We got to, yeah. got to make progress here. And, you know, I finally let my guard down and sat down and talked with those people and became good friends with them. And I feel like we just had so many similar situations like that, not just on the trail where you're in an environment where everyone is like this, but when we were car camping, moving our way up to Alaska and, you know, when we were in Europe, staying at people's houses and Airbnbs, I feel like we just interacted with people in a way that. I would be too self-absorbed to have done back when we were living in Dallas doing our normal working thing. If we were going to do an extended weekend somewhere with one of Carla's work trips, I wanted to pack as much as we could into that, right? It was really important to be focused on the things that were fun to us. And maybe I wouldn't talk to the random stranger in a restaurant who happened to be a local who was super entertaining and would be, you know, make the experience super memorable. Whereas once we took out all the the normal stresses of work and stuff, I felt like I was much more open to that kind of thing. Yeah, I think both of us discovered we're more extroverted than we thought we were when we when we quit and had more time and just like more ability to connect with people. Yeah, that was a plus. Yeah. Yeah. So one thought I've had about financial independence is if you really want to see how strong your relationship is with your partner, both quit your jobs and then you're around each other 24-7. Uh, there, there's someone I know of, not any famous person, but they became financially independent. 
And they both left and they were divorced a couple of years later. And, and I could see that happening because you've got, if you've got two high power people, you might not be seeing each other that often. You're going to be your jobs coming home at six. You cook dinner, you go to bed and then go back to work. And if you have kids, it's even worse because you're shuttling your kids around. So the interaction you have with your spouse might be, I feel like in my own life sometimes is minutes per day and geez, I'm retired. But yeah, I think that's a true test that it seems like you both came out with flying colors. You, it was definitely a positive. You were, it, it, even though you interacted with lots of people, you still car camped and drove up to Alaska with each other. So do you think you came out stronger? Because that's my impression, hopefully. I think so. Yeah. I mean, we've, I've, we have such a great relationship. This just goes back to being so lucky. So we got married really young and I always say, like there's a lot of it's a risk to get married that young and <laughs> you don't really know exactly who you're going to turn out to be and again we just got so lucky with them um, you know the way that we've grown together and we've both been excited about taking a new direction and yeah it's it's just been great but yeah i mean i feel like we would fight all the i mean we still we fight all the time but it's i don't know i genuinely feel like it's kind of fun fighting like we would on the PCT I'm lawyer, sure. sorry, I gotta. Yeah, like a lawyer would say that every sorry. single night and every single morning. And we did this for you know months on end, and still we would always fight about exactly how to set the tent up because Robert, like, because you have to do it correctly. Yeah, what's the right way to do it? <laughs> Who does it right? How about that? Like, I wouldn't, you know, do it quite tautly enough, or like when I folded it up, I just wouldn't do it quite compactly enough. Oh, it makes me crazy just thinking about it. But, <laughs> yeah, but like, I don't know. It was always just fun. You know, we would like fight about it and like rah, rah, rah at each other for a few minutes. And then it was like, oh, yeah, look where we are. Look how great our life is. And yeah. So, yeah, if, I think if your relationship can survive all of, all of those things, you're probably in a pretty good spot. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're living in a four by seven tent, right? I mean, four foot mm -hmm. by seven foot space every night next to one another. No TV, no internet, no you know, normal distractions that people have in yeah. their home lives. Um, yeah, it's, it's, we definitely got stronger over that time for sure. Yeah. 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 So, and how do you keep, um, one question, how do you keep the magic of financial independence alive? Like, uh, the hedonic treadmill works both ways. You get used to your situation, no matter how good or, or bad it is too. You hear about people living in bad situations and it's human nature to adjust to it. I was thinking about this the other day cause I was, yeah, Doug and I, traffic is a common source of our stress. And I was I was cursing traffic like at 10 a.m. or something like that. Like, why are all these cars out there? Where are these people going? But then I started thinking, like, you're such a stupid idiot. Like, you're so lucky. You're not stuck in an office somewhere. You're, I think I was driving to go on a hike, too. Like, what an asshole you are for cursing your, <laughs> your beautiful life at this moment. And that's something I struggle with, just being thankful because the novelty wears off. And you're not super thankful. And maybe... Your life is a little bit different because you did go back to work. So maybe you do have uh, more appreciation for it. But wh what do you think about that? So for me, I felt like we weren't quite sure what we were going to do, right? We were hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. We got off trail and got in the car. Uh, we talked about some different adventures, right? We talked about getting a sailboat and cruising around the world, right? We thought about doing that sort of thing, Um and we just didn't really know what it was going to end up looking like till we were in Alaska at one point and decided that we really wanted to be part of a community. That was kind of the next thing for us. We wanted to settle down somewhere 
where we could make some friends and be part of a community. You're looking at me like I'm, am I, am I telling a mistruth or? No, uh, I was just wondering if we should tell the story about the tires and how that was like a moment for me. Cause I. Oh yeah. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew that one. Yeah. So we, we were road tripping in Alaska in our Prius, which is not like the ideal car for driving around Alaska which we didn't know this until we'd been up there, but the Alaskan roads are not in good shape. I think it's something to do with the ice and snow. Like it just really creates a ton of potholes and bumpy roads. And we were not prepared for that. We had like, you know, decent tires for city driving, but nothing prepared at all for Alaskan roads. And we had three blowouts in the middle of nowhere, Alaska, um, on two different occasions. One was one tire and the other was two and... Um, I think it was the second blowout where we were sitting there in the middle of nowhere that I kind of had a moment where I was like, I could just envision us being on a sailboat in the middle of the ocean, as opposed to on a road in the middle of Alaska, having some sort of terrible mechanical problem. And I was just like, I don't think I'm ready for this. Maybe when we're older and we have less life to live and more money accumulated to get like, you know, nicer stuff and more backups, like maybe at that point we can do sailing, but I don't want to be in this situation in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And that was kind of a moment for me where I was like, the sailing thing, I'm not I'm not ready for that. But also, we did want to be part of a community. <laughs> As I said, we did get more extroverted. And yeah, we're wanting to be more part of a community. But I do remember we were traveling around Europe for a few months. And towards the end of that, I felt feeling spoiled saying this, but we were kind of tired of traveling, right? We kind of wanted a little bit more of a permanent home base. Um, and so we we're kind of excited to press pause on some crazy adventuring and go back to something a little bit more conventional, but having a lot more control over what that looked like, right? So moving to Longmont was a, a way for us to have access to some of the things that we really liked that we didn't like about Dallas, part of a small community that we were excited to, to join. And meet new people and engage. Have the mountains. Yeah. Um, and then keeping the magic alive. I don't know. I think we, we're lucky, like I said, that we've always had pretty low level taste, except for gold mist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you got to try it before you know you don't like it. Like yeah, yeah. the NS, uh, NSX, right? Yeah. 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 Well, we, we did like gold. I mean, it was fun. Right? Oh, it's a great car. I mean, what's not to like? It was super fancy. It was really luxurious, but yeah, it just, it didn't align with my long-term vision of things, so. But yeah, so I, th I think having fl time flexibility is what we were really looking forward to, and we have a lot more of that now than we ever did before. It's still relatively new for us, so I suppose it's possible that in a few years we'll think, and are we getting what we want out of this? But so far, it's been pretty great. Yeah, yeah. I think the flexibility that we have really does make a lot of difference because we know that well if we get tired of you know working and doing this we'll try something else or we could move somewhere else or we could you know do a lot of different things um that we have the freedom and the flexibility to do so yeah i don't know for me i tell robert all the time that i just i can't believe we get to live this life like i know so many people say that fi for them didn't really make them much happier and didn't really make that big of a change in their life. It really genuinely did for me, like just getting to leave behind that super, super stressful um, 
career that I was working in before has made a very significant difference. And I I don't want to poop all over my my old job because it really was great in a lot of ways. I got to work with some exceptionally smart people and some really good people and um it in some ways it was fun. It just I just don't think it was the perfect fit for me and it was really hard to feel like a a square peg in a round hole for a lot of years. So but yeah, I I'm sure as time goes on we will have to, you know, put more work and, and effort into gratitude and keeping the magic alive, which is a good way to put it. But yeah, for the last I mean, since we quit in early twenty nineteen, things have just been exceptionally great. I'm not sure. It seems like you two are pretty well adjusted. I don't I think you're doing a pretty good job. I'm, tra- I'm taking notes here half for the show, but maybe more so for myself. Like these people have got it right, and maybe me, not so much. So I appreciate the wisdom. Uh, I don't know about that, but we we've got a great, um, just a really great setup right now. I've, I'm working with two amazing girls um, running this firm. It's just a ton of fun, and I feel really good about the work that we're doing. And I have a ton of. Um, flexibility. I feel like that's the mm-hmm. theme of the day, but I have a lot of, um, more flexibility with my schedule and I can kind of work when I want to work and, and I'm not chained to, to a desk all day and Robert gets to work from home now. And that's not a COVID thing. That's, it was before COVID and we'll continue. Um, so he's got just more freedom to like, you know, sleep more and drive less. And some days he works in his pajamas and yeah, like it's <laughs> depends on how many zoom calls. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think that the confidence that I have, if my job changes, right? Let's say people change, leadership is different, priorities evolve, and I don't like it anymore. It's nice to know that I don't have to do it anymore, right? Mm-hmm. If, if I'm not having fun, I don't have to do it. And I can find other ways to make sure that I am happy and fulfilled. So, And you've gone through a big decision-making process and, and quitting, and you've done it before. I know we realized that when we started making big decisions that drastically changed things, that we were much happier and we were scared to do it before we just were complacent because things came relatively easily. Just take the job, stick in the job. It's fine, pretty safe. But now you have, the, like you said, the confidence. That's the exact word. Now you can walk away if you want to. So Yeah, if, if I want to go uh, back on the trail and... and punish my digestive system and, uh, you know, go, go hike a, a bunch again, uh, yeah. as an option. Yeah. yeah well, I was going to say, Carl has a specific question. We'll go on a little tangent here. If you, if you want to go ahead and do it now, Robert, that is such a great segue. Cause we talked a couple of weeks ago and you told me the McDonald's story from the Pacific coast trail. So can you tell the audience about that McDonald's and what you ate? And then I'll have follow-up question. I'm sorry in advance, audience, Robert and Carl. Sure. Yeah. So uh, on the Pacific Crest Trail, you're hiking, I don't know, 15, 20 miles a day. You're carrying 25 to 35 pounds on your back. You're burning calories left and right. And you hit towns every, what, four to seven days, typically. Um, In Southern California, the trail passes right next to a highway. It crosses, I think it's I-15 at Cajon Pass. Uh, it's between the stops of Big Bear and the next uh, one. <laughs> it's not Idlewild. What is no, it? it? It's north. Anyway, it. 
it'll come to us. Okay. Anyway, you pass a highway and four tenths of a mile off the trail is a McDonald's. There's like a sign everybody knows about it. Um, and there are a couple ways you can do this town stretch, right? It's a full week for most people, uh, between big bear and the next spot, uh, which means a lot of food to carry. Um, but you know, there's a McDonald's there. There's nothing else really to go for. There's no grocery store or other amenities right there. I mean, you could get an Uber or something, but, um, I'd heard about people doing what they call a McDonald's challenge, uh, and basically trying to eat nothing but McDonald's from, uh, that McDonald's to the next town, 30 miles away. Yeah. I, I decided, <laughs> I decided I wanted to be a hiking legend and do the same sort of thing. Um, and so I, I loaded up on the McDoubles and the McNuggets, put a couple of uh, McDoubles in the hip belt chamber and uh, pulled those out for a snack as I would go. I think, uh, I ended up leaving town with 12 McDoubles. They're like a double cheeseburger with only one slice of cheese. I kind of calculated out the calorie and value there. I think it was another 79 cents for that extra slice of cheese but only another like 80 calories didn't, didn't seem worth it to me. So yeah, still got to bring that frugality on the trail. Uh, I, I grabbed uh, 60 McNuggets, um, and, uh, you know, got to, got to carefully package those. You don't want them to oversteam and whatever you're going to repackage them in get soggy and, you know, won't have the flavor you want 48 hours later when you decide to finish eating them. So yeah, for, for a couple of days, I ate nothing but McDonald's and, um, it was a blast, right? It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Uh, no one else did this. Like supposedly does a trail thing. People do this. No one else. We do did this. It was just Robert, just for the record. Yeah. There weren't uh, other people said they were going to do it, but they didn't really quite embrace the McDonald's as much as I did. Wait, did Falls do it with you? Yeah. One of our friends. Yeah. Okay. Uh, did one it. guy did it. Uh, but he, he kind of struggled with it. I think he got some McChickens and some McDoubles and immediately decided he did not like it and started giving away food to anyone who would take it and eat <laughs> yeah. it. Whereas I was like, Hey, do you have any more? Like, can I, can I get some more of this? Um, all told, in like a 48 hour window, I ended up eating just under 12,000 calories of uh, McDonald's deliciousness. Um, yeah, it was great. So, um, so you had 12 McDoubles, just reviewing 60 <laughs> McNuggets. Did you McShit yourself? That <laughs> well, were, were there, and you mentioned it was a blast, but I can see that. I can take Double that entendre. So uh, <laughs> the town we were going to is Wrightwood. That's the name there of it. Go. Uh, Carla's ankle had started to bother her at this part of the trail. And so the McDonald's is right along a highway. And what she decided to do was to go get to Wrightwood ahead of us. She and another hiker who were having some, uh, injury issues. She also had an ankle problem. Uh, they, they shot forward to Wrightwood. And so I did this stretch of trail with just our friends, right? Uh, Carla wasn't with me, which was probably a good thing because it was not the... My digestive system didn't exactly process it as effectively as I would have liked. Our, our second night on trail, fortunately, we were at a place that had uh, a pit toilet uh, that we were able to go to. So uh, I, I took advantage of that feature several times <laughs> in the night. Um, the, the tent did not smell particularly good. As you can imagine, the human body can only process <laughs> McDonald's so fast. Did we mention it was a four by seven tent? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Was, it, was, it was spectacular. Uh, and then we got to the town of Wrightwood, made our way to a little Airbnb where we were staying. And um, yeah, I was glad to have uh, a flush toilet there. So one of the fun things that we did while I was eating all these McDoubles is I wanted to think of a fun way to celebrate it. I had these 
paper McDouble wrappers, right? Uh, what do you? Do, what can I do as a way to sort of celebrate this, you know, feat of eating all this crazy, disgusting food? And I came up with a few ideas, and eventually decided. And this is probably blasphemous, but I decided to make a crown out of it. Obviously, a crown is associated with Burger King, not McDonald's. Right. Didn't didn't come to my mind at the hurt moment. Burger King's feelings. That yeah. Um, but I took these little wrappers and I like folded them, not really origami style or anything, but I, I made a crown that I you know, could wear, um, made out of McDouble wrappers. And then I was very grateful to wear my crown on the throne in our Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> when we got to town, I basically spent the whole afternoon and evening while other people were doing laundry and grocery shopping and, you know, town responsibilities. I was, I was just on the throne. <laughs> gotcha. Wow. Oh man. I should note that we still have the crown and probably oh, yeah. will for the rest of our lives. Robert will not let us throw it away. Oh, you should have worn it for this. Well, <laughs> <laughs> next time you're on the show, we'll have to, uh, you'll have to wear we'll the, to crown. the crown. Yeah. Uh, Crazy. Yeah. Well, the good news is you don't have to be on the PCT to do that challenge <laughs> anywhere. There's a McDonald's. You can buy all that stuff. Not sponsored, by the way, just, you know, fans, <laughs> fans of good food. I suppose we could do like a backpacking weekend at Rocky Mountain oh, yeah. National Park. and that sounds uh, great. Let's see a, a Long's Peak hike fueled by McDoubles? Funny <laughs> enough, I've, I've done Long's Peak and I was a poor college student at the time. So I went and got two double cheeseburgers for 99 cents, hiked up, and that's what I ate at the top. Okay. Disgusting. We, we are going to do this hike in September, so maybe it's time to relive the good old days, the the bad old days. Huh? I'll have to make sure I do some practice hikes in the meantime to build up the uh, the abdominal strength to succeed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. crazy. Well, the PCT was fun. <laughs> let's um, let's talk about going back to work. So you had this adventure. It sounds like you were not working for about a year. Is that about right? Mm-hmm. So. You wanted more community. You were sort of setting up roots here in Longmont. You checked out town. Carl um, helped convince you. And then wh- why'd you go back? Just Can you just talk about that decision-making process? So I think it was not too terribly long after we had that moment in Alaska where we were like, okay, sailing is not... I don't think we're ready to do that yet. I should also say my parents as I have mentioned, are just supremely lovely people. And they were absolutely petrified at the thought of us taking off in a sailboat. So part of the decision to not do it was that I I just couldn't do it to my parents. They're just, they're such great people. And uh, yeah, I thought it would literally kill them with worry to go do this. So yeah, we, we made the decision that we were going to kind of settle down and do something more traditional and not go take off and sail for a while. Um, and I think it was a pretty natural progression after that. It was like, well, if we're going to settle down, you love your job and always have, do you want to give them a call and see, you know, what the options are? And yeah, we were in Anchorage. The car was in the shop because one of the blowouts kind of took out some of the front panels and the headlight was all messed up and yeah, not, not an ideal situation. Uh, we were camping in Anchorage, which I don't recommend. Uh, you don't want to tent camp in the middle of a city like Anchorage. It's not, it's not ideal. It was a campground, but it was like a city campground. Yeah. It was, yeah, it wasn't great. Anyway, we were there for, for a week or so. And I reached out to my old boss and said, look, we've decided we're probably moving to Colorado. Um, I, I Longmont is what we're thinking. Um, 
is there a way that I could come back? I've missed it. I've met hundreds of people so far who've had all kinds of different jobs and nobody seemed to like theirs, but I did. And I really want to go back. Uh, and he said, yeah, I bet we can work something out. What, what's your schedule look like? And at that point we decided we were going to Europe and we already booked out our flights and said in September, I'd be able to get back to Dallas. And I went to the office, met with a few of the leaders that were there and kind of talked about a few different positions or ideas that I could do remotely. And while we were in Europe, I think I formally applied for something specific and it worked out really almost trivially for me. I was able to just smooth, smoothly go back right back to where I was before a different role, but same company working with the same people. And it was just, it was easy and it felt really natural. So. Yeah. So yeah, once you had that lined up, I sort of felt like I was even more free and flexible than before to do whatever I wanted. So I just figured like, well, let's go have fun in Europe. And then when we get to Colorado, I'll, you know, figure it out. And so I think I, I had always thought that I might want to do some teaching, which I still think sounds very enticing to me, um, or do something better with my law degree that I was a better fit for me. Um, so I was kind of figuring things out, looking at, you know, different jobs in the area, trying to think what would be the best option for me. And, um, yeah, very early in our time here, we went to an HQ thing. I don't know if it was the one where we met you first, but, um, we met this guy, John, um, whose wife Autumn was not there at the time. Um, cause she was home taking care of their girls, but, uh, John and I really hit it off and he said, well, my, my wife's a lawyer. And I think the conversation basically went that like, I was a lawyer who hated Trump and he was like, you should meet my wife <laughs> and you guys might hit it off. So, um, we, yeah, Autumn and I went to lunch together probably less than a week later and just got along like a house on fire. And I started working with her firm and now we're law partners and everything is great. So yeah, it just kind of fell out of the sky, but it's been really, really fun. Just Yeah. I, I think I might've been a little bit worried when we stepped away from everything that getting back into some sort of career or job would be a challenge. And it really, it was easy. Um, I did think that doing the adventures that we were doing, we could put on a resume or a cover letter that I, you know, what hiked 2000 miles or whatever we did. Uh, and that'd be interesting and get you in the door to where the, the resume gap or anything like that, uh, wouldn't be a big detrimental thing. Uh, but with me going back to my old employer, that wasn't really a big deal. And with you, Carla, just, you know, fell into things pretty naturally when you're just kind of open to whatever the world's going to offer you instead of being narrowly focused on what you're trying to do right now. It's surprising what will turn up. I think there's a huge lesson in all this too. One thing I don't like about the fire term is the retire early part of it because people use that to say, oh, I don't really want to do that. I, I, I love my job, so I want to stay there. And I don't like, uh, I'm not sure what a better term would be. The financial independence part of it is what really counts because that's what sets you free to do whatever you want. And if you make the decision, regardless of money, I've got all the money I need, but I like my job so much, I want to go back to work. Great. That's wonderful. You've found something incredible that very, very few people found, but you, you both have it and you've both 
I found your niche, and that's absolutely wonderful. There, there are no rules, but the financial independence part is the part that allows you to make these decisions without money and give you the options and give you the, the word that's come up over and over again is the flexibility, which is the amazing part because you can do whatever you want and there's nothing wrong with going back to your work if, if that's what you really enjoy and that gives you the meaning you want in your life. Yeah, for us, it was about building a lifestyle that we wanted, right? It was getting away from the things that we didn't love about Dallas, getting somewhere where we felt like we could kind of tailor and package a life that's that was fulfilling for us. And we feel like we've done that for the moment and I'm sure things will evolve and things will change. And we've got that ability to sort of continue to tailor and change it as, as, as things evolve. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's just been very freeing. So probably my favorite thing that I've done with the additional time that I've had is the piano. I, I took lessons from probably when I was like four all the way up through 18 and I totally loved it and got really good at it. Um, but I just never even gave it a moment's consideration as doing it as a career either. I mean, it probably would have been teaching. I don't think I was good enough to go be Lang Lang or anything, but, um, like a famous concert pianist, but, um, it just like, I don't know. I, I felt like I was on this very, had a very narrow mindset of if you're, you know, somebody who does well in school and you like academia, like you're one of the smart kids, this is what, not to say, I mean, you can be smart in other ways, but if you're someone who excels at school, you become a doctor or a lawyer. Like that, that was what I thought for the longest time. And I am so regretful of that. And obviously it's, it just stupidly narrow-minded, like even engineering, I had like, I was going to say, what about engineers? I know. They're, they're pretty good too. I, I'm yeah, a disappointment. It's humiliating to, <laughs> to admit this, but it, I mean, it was true. And I, I think there are probably other people out there who did feel that way or maybe still do, but yeah, it's just a insanely limiting view of life to, to grow up thinking that way. But, um, yeah, I like, I think I probably would have had more fun if I'd like studied music and become a piano teacher or something, or, I mean, who knows? I think there are probably a dozen different careers that might've been better fits for me. Um, but I just, I was just closed to that possibility because I felt like if you do well, like you should maximize your earning income and these are the ways that you do that, period. Yeah, even things like investment banking, which, you know, people probably would have been making way more money than I was making. I just was closed to that. I had no idea. So I think as I've gotten older and looked around the world a little bit more, I've realized how silly that was. And one of the things that the additional time we have now has done for me is allow me to go back to that love of the piano and really dig into it and have a bunch of fun with that. And yeah, I'm hoping to give some lessons on the side, which I think will be fun. But um, yeah, I think having extra time to explore maybe a love that you've long since buried or find a new one that you didn't even know you had is, is pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, on that note, that was a yeah, amazing. Yeah, what what can we add, Doug? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say for people that are maybe in the position, especially that you were in, Carl. I mean, I don't think anyone uh, likes their job. The you know eight people in the world that like their job—that's really odd and that's strange. But so cool that you her. that you found it. 
I feel very fortunate. Yeah. yeah. For people that are in the position where they're thinking, hey, I, I dread my job. It's stressing me out. Do you have any tips for dealing with it? Maybe pulling together a strategy? Don't do what I did. <laughs> I, I don't think I handled it very well. I did the thing that everybody says you shouldn't do, which was just to focus on the future and yeah, like wish away my days, which is awful in hindsight. I wish that I hadn't done that. Um, but yeah, I was, I was like checking, we use mint to like track our finances. I was checking mint every day and just, you know, kind of obsessed with an end goal, which is not a healthy way to be. Yeah. And I, it's probably one of the reasons that I'm so happy now is that I got out of such a dark place of thinking, you know, just wishing time away which is not a, not a healthy mindset to have. So yeah, try to find the, the joy and the, you know, there's gotta be something you love about what you do. And the, the sad thing is there was for me, like I, I had a lot of aspects to my job that I really did enjoy, but instead of kind of digging in and trying to find more joy in those, I just kind of focused on the negatives and was looking forward to putting a stop to those. So yeah, do what I say, not what I do. <laughs> <laughs> and then, Robert, do you have any tips for dealing with someone that is going through <laughs> such such? Ooh. Yeah, I don't know if I if I have any good advice. Uh, my answer every time Carla was just super stressed and really unhappy about work was find something else. There's all kinds of other things you can do. And then on the other side of that coin, she would come up with ideas for stuff to do and be like, come on, it'll get better. You just make your way through it. So I'm not sure I have the best advice, but really that's just to be supportive, right? It's, it's to care about how people are doing. Um, I mean, I still think about it. Would we have been better off if you had left jobs that weren't fulfilling for you to go do something that maybe would have brought in less money um, and been more fulfilling and been a better long-term fit? we wouldn't be here right now if you'd done that, right? Things would have been, in a, we'd have been on a different time scale. We would have um, chosen different things to do. Uh, we'd, we'd probably still be in Dallas, um, yeah. would be my guess. And I think that move has been phenomenal for us. So it's, you kind of never really know what's going to be the best way through a challenging situation. I think the, the advice is to, to think critically about what you really want and try to understand the subtleties of why, right? What's unfulfilling about your current role? If your life right now is unfulfilling, is it the job? Is it the location? Is it the people that you're surrounding yourself with? Like what, what's going on? And, and I think by having Carla in that position, we did a good job of sort of stepping back and figuring out what we really wanted in a way that most people just don't do, right? You just, you have inertia and you're going where you're going. Uh, we stepped back and thought a lot about, well, what are we going to do? I remember, I think we took a walk around a lake in the Dallas area. It's, where are we going to be? Where are we going to move after we finish hiking? What's that, what's that going to be like? And we, and we talked about traveling around and, you know, spending a week in a bunch of different cities, sort of test driving different places that we thought might be interesting. And, and you know, the discussion about where we we're going to live wasn't important, but the fact that we had both agreed that where we were living wasn't right for us was huge, right? It was really eye-opening. I think taking the time to really reflect on the the subtle things are the the small details about what you wish could be different in your life is a good way to to make sure everything's going the right direction. 
Awesome. Really well said. I have nothing further to. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, any other, any other questions or anything, Carl? Uh, I just think, uh, so we keep on coming back to the word flexibility and Carla (laughs) opened it up with the word flexa fucking ability. I think, did did I say that right, Carla? You did. I feel like you should drop the G. I think it's a little, it has a better ring to it without the G in the end. Flexa fuckability. That might, that kind of sounds like something profane. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, actually, I was going to wait for the outtake. So I'm going to interrupt because you, you derailed it. So it's it's your fault, man. I'm sorry. (laughs) Why are the strip clubs so good in Dallas? I don't know. I feel like I just heard people say that. Like, I mean, there's like a district in Dallas. It's like the strip club district. And like, there's this one, Harry Hines, right? It's oh, like, yeah. That's where, that's the name of a road. Not a person. Well, probably was a person first. But anyway, <laughs> that's a street in Dallas. Like Harry, like H-A-I-R-Y. <laughs> oh, that's good. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I just read it wrong for all those years. But yeah, it's... <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I don't know why. But it's it's like there's just not a lot going on in Dallas was my main point. And yeah. But, but if you do drive up and down Interstate 35 in Dallas, billboards left and right. It's true. They're calling you. Yeah. I, Robert and I are such like goody two-shoes people. Like neither of us have ever been in a strip club. But we, I don't know. It's just the thing about Dallas. It was supposed to be a joke about how awful the city is. <laughs> Good for conferences, probably. I mean, I think it's a sales point. But anyway, Carl was going to ask some intelligent question. (laughs) I'm not sure I had any intelligent question to ask, but I I like the uh, how we kept on going back to the flexibility and flexibility. (laughs) I'm not going to get that right, but you should reserve that URL before this podcast comes out in case someone someone uh, reserves it ahead of you and maybe turns it into something nefarious. That's true. Yeah, you could go to your URL and there will be stuff that you do not want to see. Trust me. So go out and get that URL and any uh, and any variations of it so uh, you can have something positive instead of something similar to the Harry Hines district. Like yeah. Yeah. My my hatred for that word has, has diminished over time. I just used to get so frustrated when I would be like in the throes of like, I just want to do something different. And he was like, hang on. We'll have so much flexibility. If you don't, and then it led to me just like, flex that fucking ability. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, screw it. It's, we'll have enough flexibility. But yeah, he, I mean, ugh, I hate to say it, but you, you were right. Like it's, it all worked out and <laughs> things are good. So yeah. Very awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of, you are, you're able to design your life. And I think, uh, Robert, you said something kind of towards the beginning. You said when Carla came to you, you said you didn't know what your life was necessarily going to look like and maybe that gave you a little bit of anxiety and i think that's completely okay like we talked about you don't have to leave your job and the options and the flexibility there's the f word again of being able to do what you want has so much value and power to it and it's not just the positive stuff i mean going to alaska and the pct and europe are all great but what happens if what if your parents get sick or something like that it's insurance against some negative occurrence in your life too you can pick up you don't have to answer to anyone hey i gotta take a sabbatical i'll be back in six months i'm gonna go take care of my mother or father or whatever happens to come up in your life so yeah even if you don't know what you're gonna do with it it's still worthwhile to pursue financial independence yeah i have to agree that the options were what i really liked right that 
you don't think about this sort of thing before financial independence comes into your focus, right? I think most people are just living their day to day. They've got some long-term goals that aren't that unusual. And you don't think like clean slate, what, what would I want to do? Um, but you're right. Just having the, the ability to choose something, anything is a, is a huge value. And I don't know, dreaming up what we might do with our time has been a lot of fun. Um, and I'm, we're lucky we haven't had to take any time off to, to deal with anything unfortunate, like helping a, a sick family member through a tough time or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it, for me, that was definitely a big, a big draw, uh, was, was the ability to do whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted, whatever that might look like. And it didn't have to be well-defined at the beginning of the path to get there. Yeah. It doesn't have to be sexy either. There's a lot of value to being able to take your kid to tennis camp like I did this morning or going to Home Depot like at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday versus going there. You ever go to Home Depot like on a Saturday morning in the summertime? There's like half a humanity is at the fucking Home Depot. <laughs> so I avoid that like the yeah. plague. There's So it doesn't have to be the big epic things either. The, the, the little day-to-day things are probably more important. Yeah. If you could drive your lifestyle to where what everyone else does on the weekends you do on the weekdays, man, like it, things can be so much better. Huge difference. Yeah. Any uh, other parting words or thoughts? Um, I don't think so. I Yeah, I just, um, like I said, we're just so incredibly fortunate to have gotten to where we, to where we are. And we had a, a heck of a lot of help along the way, not just from parents, but, you know, mentors and people in our careers. And so, yeah, we're just extremely grateful for for where we are and um pretty pretty darn excited about our flexible future so yeah life I, is good i'm glad we've chosen to embrace the flexibility and just give ourselves a chance to do whatever makes sense for us in the future uh and and just love the ability to go wherever the wind takes us awesome well you guys are off the grid sort of. So is there anywhere people could follow you or anything like that? Or you're or flexifuckability.com. <laughs> Maybe soon to be. Uh, I don't know. I have thought about writing a, a personal finance blog for a long time. The main reason I didn't was just because I was always so afraid we would be found out and lose our jobs. But um, yeah, maybe uh, maybe forthcoming. So not yet, but maybe forthcoming. If someone had a pressing question, I would say they could perhaps leave a comment on the YouTube video and then we could ask and relay it back. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks a lot to you both. Yeah. Thank you so much. So inspiring. Uh, uh, I'll close with one thing. You said the PCT, the most fun I ever had. And I know that's true. I've met like two of the people that you did the PCT with. So validation right there. It's awesome. I really want to eat it. Double. Two. We'll do it. We'll do it. <laughs> I want to do the PCT just so I can do things like that. Thank well, you. Thank you guys so much. This was really fun. Thanks for having us.